Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. As Carol Baskin would say. Welcome to Understanding the Human Condition with your host, Dr. James Flowers. Hey, Robin. Hey, you. I am beyond thrilled today. I don't think either one of us slept ever since she said yes. <laughs> I know. I was so happy when, when Carol said yes. We have uh, Carol Baskin today from the Netflix documentary Tiger King, but more importantly, from Big Cat Rescue. Welcome, Carol. Well, thank you for having me. And I don't know what to say because you already used my line. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but it will sound better coming from you. I know. I, that's why I threw in, as Carol Baskin would say, exactly. because we don't want to rip it off from her. <laughs> Is that how you answer your phone? Hey, all you cool no. cats and kittens. <laughs> well, it's an honor having you here. And we thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day uh, to be here. And super excited about doing this podcast with you. As everybody knows, Tiger King took us all by storm last year, almost instantly. Carol Baskin's name has really become a household name around the world. And today we talk about her overnight success and the effect it's had really on yep. her mental health, because it's mm -hmm. not easy to be Carol Baskin, I can imagine. <laughs> Carol, tell us about Big Cat Rescue. Big Cat Rescue is a sanctuary located in Tampa, Florida on 67 acres. We have about 50 exotic cats, lions, tigers, leopards, cougars, bobcats, jaguars, caracals, servals, some cats probably people never heard of. And our main goal is to put ourselves out of business. We don't think cats belong in cages. And so for the past 30 years, we have been trying to pass legislation that would make it illegal for people to have them in backyards and basements. And once that ends, then Big Cat Rescue can close our doors forever. We'll still do Bobcat rehab and release or Florida Panther rehab and release, but we just don't want to see a world where wild cats are kept in cages. You know, and we just had that example right here in our own home city of Houston, Texas. Mm -hmm. uh, it was out in a suburb of Houston yeah. where a tiger got out of someone's back door and started walking through the neighborhood and then disappeared. And thank goodness someone yeah. found it. And I believe that cat is somewhere up near Dallas right now. Um, I'm not sure where, Carol, but I, it's just bizarre to me that someone would think that it's okay to have a tiger or a big cat in their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that cat is currently at the Black Beauty Ranch, which is a sanctuary that is accredited by the Global Federation of Animal Sanctuaries and a really good sanctuary. But that that turned out so much better for that cat than it could have because that cat came face to face with the man with the gun. He sure did. Um, it, it was just amazing that that officer had the presence of mind. He's somebody you should interview. Yeah, not to not to pull a trigger on some on a big cat staring at you. I, mm -hmm. That's the first thing I thought is, thank goodness he didn't kill that animal. Mm hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. because he certainly could have. You know, Carol, what drove your passion uh, for Big Cat Rescue? I always had a passion for saving domestic cats and kittens. When I was mm -hmm. eight years old, I learned that domestic cats and kittens were being killed in shelters due to overpopulation. And so as a result, I was just fixated on fixing that. And I left home at the age of 15. I often worked two and three jobs at a time. I still work seven days a week from 7.30 in the morning till seven o'clock at night, every single day. And yep. if I take five days off in the year, that's amazing for me. And it's because I was driven by that passion to fix that problem. And then when I was 17, because I was spending time at vets offices, what happens to a bobcat if they get hit by a car 
is the vet can usually fix them up in a few minutes, but then you're talking months of rehab for them to go back to the wild. And so mm-hmm. I've been doing that since I was 17. Wow. And by the time I was in my 30s and finally it built my real estate business up to where it was pretty much on autopilot, that was where I was looking to you know, give back and do something really meaningful and did not intend for it to be big cats, but we ended up at an auction where we were buying llamas and turning them loose on big tracts of land that we had. And the guy next to me was bidding on a bobcat and she was about six months old. The lady didn't want her anymore because she grew up to be a bobcat. And I leaned over to the guy and I said, when that cat grows up, she's gonna tear your face off. Mm -hmm. And he said he was a taxidermist and that he was just going to club her in the head in the parking lot and make a thin decoration out you of are her. kidding not and so oh. i burst out crying and my husband don started bidding and we probably paid more for that bobcat <laughs> than anybody's ever paid for a bobcat right and that led us to a fur farm to try and find a friend for her because she was a wretched pet but she had been declawed she was born in captivity and she was born in a different state so she couldn't be released for all three of those reasons sure and so um we came home with 56 bobcats and lynx when we discovered that the fur farm was a fur farm we didn't know that when we went there yeah and we ended up buying out all of the fur farms in the u.s and had started working on buying out all of the cats that were in fur farms in canada and that's when I lost my husband in 1997. So we weren't able to finish that in, in Canada. Sure. But as a result of all of the work that we do legislatively and raising awareness, the fur industry pretty much has breathed its last in 2018. Right. So okay. no longer an issue for exotic cats. And along the way, you know, when people, they say, if you build it, people will come. And people started calling and saying, would you take my lion? Would you take my tiger? And I'm thinking, what are these people doing with lions and tigers? Right. right? <laughs> so at every point along the way, I naively thought that I could fix it. And I had no idea it would take this long and mm-hmm. be this hard and this expensive. But um, sure. I think we're closing in on it. <laughs> I right. think we're Absolutely. finally getting yeah. close yeah. to the bill yeah. passing. And speaking of expensive, how are you funded and how, if people want to make, I'm guessing it's a 501c3 and people can make donations and how do you, it's got to be extremely expensive to run a farm or what Mm -hmm. a rescue like you do. Yeah, it costs us between three and a half and $4 million a year just to take care of the 50 cats that we currently have. And that's just the food and vet care. That's not any of the overhead of the sanctuary. Right. And so, well, I'm sorry, um, I confused two things. Three and a half to four million is the entire running of the sanctuary. Mm -hmm. When I think of a tiger, a lot of times I'll use a a number of $10,000 per tiger per year. And that's just for food and vet care. That's not the overhead. So I apologize for that. That's okay. Three and a half to four million dollars a year. Every day when I wake up, it's like, how am I going to raise this money to take care of this mission? Absolutely. it, it, it's been uh, it's been really expensive. But yeah. Up until so up until 1995, we funded it through our real estate business. Mm-hmm. But in 95, we became a 501c3 and we started accepting donations. Mm-hmm. And then we started offsetting some of the costs by doing tours, mm-hmm. where people could come for a private tour. There'd be like 20 people on a tour, and we'd walk them around the sanctuary for a couple of hours, and then. At the end of them, take them back into the gift shop and have them call their member of Congress to support the bill to ban the private possession of big cats. Amazing. Yeah. But after COVID hit, we couldn't do that. Right. So we've been closed to the public, and that's like a million dollars of our 
our incumbents calling. Wow. Sister. Are you still closed today because of COVID? Yeah, that's yeah. Delta variant. Yeah, like yeah. worse here than it was at any point in the. Absolutely. Pandemic. Yeah, it's just horrible down in Florida right now. So, um, you know, let's talk just a little bit about how was your business affected by Tiger King? Did it? Did donations pour in? Did donations slow down? How did it affect you once Tiger King came out? How was your life changed? Yeah, we didn't know how that was going to go because I actually watched Tiger King seven times because <laughs> after I watched it the first time and we binge watched it like everybody else did sure. because we could not believe that, that that was the result of five years of working with wow. those producers. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, we just said, that was a missed opportunity because it was supposed to be called Stolen Wildlife and it was supposed to be about all of these issues that these cats face in captivity and the abuse they face and how that's causing the extinction in the wild. And instead, people got that freak show that was Tiger King. <laughs> so that was my first reaction. But as soon as it was over, my phone started ringing and people were just screaming obscenities at me and how they hated me and they wanted to kill me and my family and the cats. I'm like, why do you want to kill the cats? Right. And they said, because they don't belong in cages. And I'm like, did you not get that about me? <laughs> how did you miss that? But people did not get that about me after watching Tiger King. So that's why I had to keep watching it again. It was like, Wait. how did they not understand who I am? Right. Absolutely. And that was the, that's a great segue to the question that I wanted to ask, which is how did you cope with the overnight success before and during and after? I mean, as, as or, or even the overnight stress that was just piled upon you by people calling and, and saying you're an awful person by using cages and yeah. what you weren't doing. What got you through it? How'd you cope? Well, to, to finish answering your first question, you said, how did that impact us financially? And mm -hmm. we didn't know how that was going to impact us. And so we were kind of curious as to whether or not that would be good or bad. It turned out to be like flat. Wow. So, oh. yeah, our donations stayed pretty much the same last mm -hmm. year and this year as they were from the year before Tiger King. Mm -hmm. And like all of our social media people are like, oh, you're so famous now. It's like they grew by about the same amount that they did in years previous. Yeah. So sure. it, it didn't have made much of an impact, which really surprised me. I thought it would have been really good or really bad. And it was just right. like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as how I took that personally, I don't take it personally because yeah. obviously you don't know who I am. But that was the conclusion that they drew right. at the end of what mm -hmm. they saw. And I think it was a lot harder on my family than it was on me because yes. if somebody's saying something about you and you know it's not true, you're like, whatever. Sure. But when somebody says that about somebody you love, it, yeah. you feel like you have to defend them and that you have to just constantly be defending yeah. them. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt bad that my family and mm -hmm. friends and volunteers were in that kind of a position because of the the horrible impact of that show. Yeah, that was going to be my next question to you is how do you, your husband and your staff really cope? But importantly, how do you cope as a couple with this microscope on you constantly? Mm -hmm. as, a, oh, as a couple. Question. Nobody's asked that, how we yeah. cope as a couple. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it probably happened at a good time in that everybody was locked down. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it didn't impact us so much because we weren't going out. We weren't going to uh, have dinners out or to right. go to the theater mm -hmm. or doing That's anything true. where we were really running into people. Mm -hmm. And when we were going out in public, we usually had masks on. Right. But um, even despite that, I'm surprised how, how recognizable I've become just 
by my voice. In fact, I flew in from DC a couple nights ago and the people in front of me were having a problem where the man couldn't wake up and the woman was getting all freaked out. So I said, do you want me to holler for a, a, a doctor? And she said, yes. And so I yelled for a doctor and everybody said, Carol Baskin's on board? They could hear my voice and they were like. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Wow. That's right. <laughs> you know, your husband described you as a logical person, and you've seemed to maintain a really relaxed disposition through all of this. What are you doing to keep your mental health? Do you meditate? Do you, I mean, what do you do? Is it faith? What is it? I think it's a, a, a deep seated belief. And my deep-seated belief is that everything is happening exactly as it should. Mm -hmm. And no matter what happens in my life for as long as I can remember, I always look at it like, all right, well, that was supposed to happen. And even though I'm not figuring out right now what that is, it'll come to me in a few days or something will happen mm -hmm. and it'll all kind of click together. Yeah. So I think the same is true here that initially it was like, <laughs> what was the good that came out of Tiger King? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But now I'm starting to see it because when I was in D.C., I was able to get an audience with all of the chiefs of staff. I could never do that before. Sure. I could beg, borrow, and plead couldn't get one with yeah. one chief of staff. It was always, you know, the, the animal Good. person in the office that I'd be able to talk to. Right. Okay. So it's given me a platform to talk about why we need this federal bill to pass that I wouldn't have gotten any other way, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So there is some good that came of it. Yeah. yeah. Where are you with the federal bill and where do you think that that's going to go? I really thought we were going to get a vote in the House in July mm -hmm. and we just didn't. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I think it's coming soon in September. We okay. passed with a two thirds majority vote in the House in December of last year. And it just we ran out of time before the end of the year to get it in front of the Senate. So we had to start all over in January mm -hmm. and we have 200, I think 202 co-sponsors in the house right now. And it's bipartisan, 38, those are Republicans. And then in the Senate, I think we were up to like 24. And so it's moving really fast through both chambers. And I, I really believe it will pass this year. That's wonderful. And if okay. someone wants to, to help you with this, who do they write or who do they call and what do they say? If they go to bigcatact.com, and put in their name and address, our system will know who your senators are and who your representatives are, and it will call them for you. All you have to do is stay on the line. And people, if they're afraid to talk to them, do it on the weekends or at night when it's an answering machine. So the answering machine comes on, you say, please, please ask your boss to co-sponsor the Big Cat Public Safety Act. You stay on the line, it calls the next one, then it calls the next one. Oh, wow. You can also send an email and you can send a tweet at the same time. So oh, wow. that's three different ways that you can reach all of your members of Congress with the ask that they become a co-sponsor of the bill. That's amazing. Right. Bigcatact.com. So everybody remember that, please, and go wow. on and join that. I think it's so important being that's an cool. animal lover myself. Um, I just have three dogs, not three big cats. Yeah, but. <laughs> I just have two dogs. <laughs> yeah. But we support you, clearly. Yes. <laughs> you know, Carol, just asking you a difficult question. How does it feel to live under the microscope of so many people around the country on social media and saying awful things about you, even that you murdered your ex-husband or your former husband? How does that feel as a human being, and how do you cope with that piece of that stress? 
Yeah, that has been really difficult because for all these years, since losing Don 23 years ago, the only people who ever said anything nasty like that were the animal abusers. Right. And a handful of people who were trying to take over our real estate business. Sure. And even when they would manage to get the media to do some kind of a piece, like hard copy did a piece and people did a piece. And then later, I think it was in like 2005 or 2006, there was a story that was in the Tampa Tribune by Leonora, maybe St. Pete Times, by Leonora, Leonora LaPeter, um, just parroting the same people saying the same things. But they're just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't an issue because anybody could go down to the court records and they could see that Don wasn't a millionaire when I met him. Mm-hmm. I didn't break up his family. We were together for 11 years before sure. his wife divorced him because right. she wanted to marry somebody at her church. You know, it, anybody that did any kind of research at all could find out the truth. And then after Tiger King, there were just millions of people who watched very clever editing and I didn't know anything about Hollywood or um, how things are produced, Sure, mm-hmm. but we're filming a show right now. Mm-hmm. And part of what they talk about is that you show, don't tell. And so an example of that would be in Tiger King, where I'm saying, you know, that Joe Exotic and some of these people were saying that I ground Don up in a meat grinder. Right. Well, that meat grinder had broken years before Don disappeared and had been gone for years before he disappeared. But it was a tiny little thing that the biggest <laughs> thing we could put in it was a chicken leg. Right. But while I'm saying that in Tiger King, they're showing this like wall size. I remember. Grinder, and it's like, what the? <laughs> and so people look at that and they're like, yeah, she could have gotten a body into that. And so they're thinking, well, I'm smarter than she is. I know she did that because I saw this and they don't realize what they saw was not anything like what the truth was. Right. And so I went through, like I said, seven times mm-hmm. and created a page at bigcatrescue.org slash Netflix, where when you're being shown something on the screen, mm-hmm. Here's the actual evidence. Here's the actual links to the court documents. Here's the actual testimony or whatever it was. Right. It shows that that was just fabricated. Right. But people want to be entertained. They don't want to be educated. People want to be sensationalized, mm -hmm. right? And have this sensation and this... You know, yeah. some people thrive on on sensationalism. Yeah, that's like a train wreck. You yeah. can't pull your eyes away, Absolutely. so that's why they watch, right? Yeah. Are you at liberty? You just said that you, I think you just said you're working on a show. Are you at liberty to talk about it? I can't say where it's going to be. We're hoping it'll be a series. We're doing a pilot right now, mm-hmm. and we're expecting the pilot will probably come out in September, maybe October. Um, but what that show will be about is the work that we've actually been doing for the last 30 years, because I think, I think people would actually find that very, uh, entertaining Right. (laughs) (laughs) because Joe is not the first person in a a healthy way, entertaining (laughs) (laughs) all of these animal abusers at one point in time have said they want to kill me and some of them have physically attacked me in public. And so, you know, showing what that's like when you go up against these very abusive, cruel people who are treating animals with so much um, animosity, so much disrespect and bringing them to justice. And so that's the whole thrust of the show is Mm -hmm. some of those people are still out there, still doing bad things to big cats and Mm -hmm. we're exposing who they are, what they're doing. And then, 
trying to pressure law enforcement to actually do something about it. Right. Joe's been trying to hire a hitman to kill me since 2011 based uh, yes. on footage that was shot by uh, Louis Theroux and that aired in the BB or in the UK on the BBC recently. And of course, you know, after people saw that, they were like, oh, maybe Joe wasn't this really lovable character that we mm. fell in love with in Tiger King. Exactly. And when you put your head down at night, and I, I am sure if someone hired a hitman to kill me, <sighs> when I put my head down at night, it would be one of the things that I think about is that when we think of trauma, that's obviously a traumatic event in your life. It's got to be, it's got to have an impact on you from a traumatic experience. How do you deal with that trauma of knowing that someone actually wanted or hired someone to kill you? It's been coming for so long that it wasn't as immediate. Like everybody who saw Tiger King thinks that this just happened in the last year. Right. <laughs> no, this has been going on for decades. Right. In fact, one of the guys in Tiger King with the long beard, mm -hmm. uh, Dennis Hill, he was the first person who ever threatened to kill me. And that was back in, well, that I knew had threatened to kill me. Yeah. And that was back in the late 90s or early 2000s. And then, like I said, Joe had been filmed talking about hiring a hitman in 2011 with Louis Theroux. And then in 2015, two different people called me up and said Joe had tried to pay them or their spouse to kill me and they were willing to talk to the police about it. And I turned it over to the police and nothing happened from that. Sure. So it was just that last one where he tried to hire the $3,000 hitman. It's like, yeah, he was gonna get caught for that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think it, he was just the easiest of them to catch. But to answer your question, as far as how I feel about that, <laughs> I heard my house is really well insulated. And so I heard what sounded like shooting out in my front yard, mm -hmm. but I was sitting there thinking, I wonder if somebody's shooting at the house or if that's just somebody setting off their fireworks from the 4th of July still. Right. And then I heard that like missile sound that they mm -hmm. make. It was like, oh, it's just fireworks. fireworks. So there's always that awareness when I hear that sort of thing that it could be directed at me. And I've had people actually shoot at my house in the middle of the night and wake me up. So that sure. has been right. <laughs> something yeah. in my history that it's like, yeah, this is real. This is dealing. You know, like, Absolutely. You wake really fast when that happens. Yeah. yeah. And, and hearing that, uh, that, that popping sound and sounding like a fire and then hearing that kind of missile sound from a firework, as you know, is probably is called post-traumatic stress disorder, right? And I can imagine that you suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder from all of the people that have said these horrible things and Joe Exotic hiring someone to kill you. And so I would encourage you, I hope I have a therapist. I hope yeah. that you have a therapist yeah. and you can process that. On speed that dial. On speed dial and, <laughs> and stay healthy. And <laughs> what was the last conversation you actually had with Joe Exotic? I've never had a conversation oh. with him. Get can out. Can you believe that? No. Get out. Never have spoken to the man. I've only even been in the room with him five times. Wow. And four of those were in court. Wow. Okay. Yep. Well, you know, often people experience trauma and they think that they're fine. But have you experienced any physical pain, chronic pain, anything that you think has changed you in any way? Not that I'm aware of. No? Oh, um, good for you. I'm really healthy. Yeah. I mean, like, I never get sick. I... I never get sick to the point where in January of 2020, I was sick and it was like, oh my God, I'm going to die because right. <laughs> I have never was that early COVID? Yeah, it's Did you have decades since I had had anything. So I'm wondering if it was COVID yeah. because 
Could that was like, it knocked me for a loop. And then all of a sudden everybody started getting sick. And we had just had a huge event at the sanctuary in November before that, where people came from all around the world to the sanctuary, 600 people from everywhere. So oh. of course that could have brought it all in. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And I can imagine in, in my own life, one of the, one of my own therapy techniques on myself mm -hmm. is I enjoy exercising. I enjoy running. And I can imagine that even though you get up at, I think you said 5.30 or 6 in the morning and work till 6 or 7 o'clock at night. That's also probably very therapeutic for you because of oh, the yeah. passion that you have for the animals with whom you take care. Yeah, it really does help. And when I lost my husband back in 97, hmm. I, you know, people often said back then, how are you able to cope with this? How are you able to deal with it? And it's like, I have to get up every morning because there's 200 cats out there that have to be fed. Right. And if it weren't for them, I think I probably would have lost my mind, but mm -hmm. there was so much that had to be done. I couldn't worry about wallowing in self-pity. Dr. Flowers, this is a pretty familiar phrase, right? By someone who's compartmentalized their PTSD. Yeah, you're exactly right. Sometimes people just shove it down. They don't want to think about it and they think that they're processing it and they're not. It's hidden in the back of their mind oh. and it comes out sideways and in the form of negative relationships, abuse, um, uh, trauma, future Yikes. trauma. Yeah. Well, everyone, join us next week as we learn about Carol Baskin, how she recovered after being assaulted by some teenagers, right? Yes, and she's also going to reveal what she did to stop attracting negative relationships with men. That's going to be a good one. Yeah, it is. All that and more next week as we wrap up our two-part series with Carol Baskin right here on Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Thank you. We also want to remind you that a clear diagnosis is the key to the most effective treatment possible. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast.